So welcome to Tales of Recovery. My name is Gris Alves. I'm your host, and my guest for today is my friend, Dave Rivas. Welcome, Dave. Hola. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. So Dave is an actor, voiceover, author, playwright, activist, artist, theater producer, and get this. He's also a 911 operator. Yeah. So when you need to be rescued, you call Dave. If you basically, if you need anything, call me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can reach him at 911. Yeah. And uh, yeah, call 911 for a good time. Call 911 and ask for Dave. Yes. So, no, don't do that. Don't do <laughs> no, that. <laughs> please don't do that because we will. We'll, somebody will show up. So I met Dave. At, the first time I met Dave was at a production of a theater of, well, it's called Historias Tenebrosas, mm-hmm. right? So it was like a Day of the Dead production. Yeah. Uh, I think it was on Halloween and the yeah. day after. I'm, I'm, it's an event I created at the San Diego Repertory Theater uh, to combine Dia de los Muertos and Halloween just to kind of cross. Crossover. Cross, uh, educate, cross cultivate. That's what my attempts were yeah. on that. And uh and every year it's different and it grows and you were the f- came along the first year that we added some music and yeah. it's, it's just always fun every year. Yeah, it's good. Maybe maybe I can come along next year. <laughs> next year, yeah. yeah. With some better music. Yeah. Oh, it was um, all good. It was yeah, really, it was really fun. It's always fun no matter what happens. I got to tell you, to me, being an immigrant, mm-hmm. um, the first time, well, the first time I even heard of you was through my friend at work, Silvia mm-hmm. Enrique, because mm-hmm. she invited us to go see La Pastorela. Uh-huh. And I thought it was phenomenal yeah. because it was like yeah yeah the story of prisoners but yeah. like with the cholos and yeah. the homies and yeah. crossing the border and that yeah. devil gangster it was yeah. so good and it was so refreshing yeah i tell you what you guys what your production is like your theater and historias tenebrosas does to a mexican immigrant like me mm-hmm. is like i told you a little bit earlier like warm my heart yeah. and make me fall in love with my culture even more because it's hard when you're an immigrant you kind of yeah. like yeah, you want to be Mexican, but at the same time, you want to, like, not rock the boat, kind of fit yeah. in. But these productions and the work that you're doing as an activist are life-giving. Thank so you. thank you. It's really cool. Thank you so much. That's exactly what I intend to have the, the effect be, and that's exactly what I get out of it. Um, this this big theater movement I'm I've been working on for the last, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years now, um, a lot of a lot of it got revitalized about 12 years ago when I first saw La Pastorella, mm-hmm. and I was the exact same way. But I'm kind of I'm kind of the same, but on from the other side of the wall, mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. pocho, you know. So mm-hmm. I, my parents came from New Mexico in the 60s, and so we they we spoke English, right. which is different from everybody else around here. It's like we speak Spanish in home, in the house, and when you go outside, you can speak whatever you want. Okay. In our house, they spoke. English to us, okay. uh, but they spoke Spanish to each other, the, the aunts and uncles and, and grandparents. But uh, so I kind of felt like, well, I'm, I don't I don't speak Spanish, but I, I don't, you know, I'm not white and I'm not Mexican. If I speak Spanish, I get yeah. in trouble because I say it wrong and yeah. <laughs> just nobody likes me. <laughs> <laughs> I have a friend at work. He used to call them uh, microwave Mexicans. Oh, microwave Mexican <laughs> or yeah, coconut or whatever. Yeah. Um, but when I saw La Pastorella, it was the same thing. I mean, it had like, it, it was the story of Christmas, right. but yet the devil was singing Elvis. Yeah. And there was like some just, uh, every, the whole thing rhymed. Yeah. And then they were, they were singing traditional uh, like Christmas carols in Spanish, the yeah. the, um, the campesinos, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, I just fell in love with it. And so I, 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 I 
wrote the director a letter and tried to get involved and I eventually got cast in it and uh, then I became Cholo Satan. Cholo Satan. Yeah, for a Super number of fun. years and um, and what it did is it just it just showed me that you know it was just such a simple play with such a simple message and but they had all these underlying messages in there like political Very humor. Very political. Yeah. Super activist, yeah. And I thought, oh, this is just another little play, but then when I saw how the the families would come and the little kids would be dressed up and and their response to, you know, when the, the director gives his speech on opening night, I thought, wow, this is huge. This is, yeah. uh, wow, I can't believe it. And, and then afterwards, people would come and talk to me and say, this is our tradition. We do this every year. Yeah. And, and that's why I just, it was always motivating to keep going back and keep going back. Just the response of the people. Yeah. And, um, and uh, so I, I just, I got involved with that theater and, and progressed and, one thing led to another, and just doors open from there. So tell me about Amigos del Rep. Mm-hmm. Is that how this started? Because I know that, that. kind of came from there, too, from from working with Bill Virtus at Teatro Mascara Magica, who's the producers of um, uh, La Pastorella. Okay. We would do it every year at San Diego Repertory Theater. Well, working there all the time, the people who run San Diego Repertory Theater, they started seeing me a little bit and would say like, hey, you want to come audition for us and be in our plays? Right. And so I started doing that and they got to know me a little bit. And then uh, Herbert Siguenza started working there as a resident artist. And Herbert Siguenza is um, one of the founding members of Culture Clash, which is a Latino comedy group. They started back so in the good. 80s. Yeah. Culture Clash they're so, you guys so funny. Google Culture Clash. I keep forgetting we got the and video. look at that. I know. Um, hey, I forget too. Uh, uh, yeah, so he he was there and he had written a play called El Henry, which was based on Henry the Fourth by William Shakespeare. And and he said, Well, I need some friends to help me read this to sell it mm-hmm. to the rep and to whoever. And so he said, Just get, you know, people said, get this guy, get that guy. They're all, you know, friends. And he's like, Well, okay, you're gonna be like my little group, amigos del rep. You oh, know? Okay. So that's how that developed. And we basically started out reading plays to his plays to, you know, so people could hear them. And then after a while, I said, you know, where well, we keep reading these plays, can't we just, you know, do it, do it, and do it in front of <laughs> an audience? You know, let's just invite people for free and get their response. And so then Amigos developed into that, and we started having free monthly readings of different plays to uh, promote uh, Latino playwrights and things like that. And then after a while, then I said, well, you know, we do more than just read. You know, we sing, we dance, yeah. we do all kinds of stuff. So can we have like a variety night? And so then we did what was called Club Cafe. And that was, we had, I just called all my friends. And we had singers, dancers, uh, poets, spoken word. It was just fantastic. And um, and then, so writing on that, uh, you know, I said, you know, this is great how we're getting, uh, we're getting audiences of all color here. And they're kind of learning mm-hmm. about our culture. And I'm learning about our culture. So let's, let's try something else. I said, um... You know, a lot of people think that um, that uh, Cinco de Mayo is Mexican Independence Day, but actually it's just a holiday created by beer companies around here. And then I thought, you know, <laughs> same thing with um, with um, Halloween. You know, a lot of people around here think that uh, Dia de los Muertos is um, Mexican Halloween, but it's not. Yeah. So I came up with a way to try and cross-cultivate and cross-educate. And I combined the two, the Dia de los Muertos and Halloween, and just added, you know, some some altars and and some explanation on what those things are, and then 
uh, added some short stories and uh, kind of made it into like a, an adventure, you know, kind of like a funhouse type setting where you could kind of explore and see this and that mm -hmm. and and you could just wander about and have a good time, you know, but bring the whole family. Yeah. There was stuff for, yeah. there's kind of scary stuff, but not real scary. The family fun could scary. go. Yeah, fun scary. And then there's a place over here for kids and there's pan de muerto and pan mm -hmm. dulce and candy and just, you know, something for everybody. Yeah. So that's been going on. We just did our sixth year. And, um, and that's at the Lyceum Theater? That's at the stuff? Lyceum Theater, which yeah. is San Diego River. My son Theater. loved it. It was super fun. It's a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. And um, so we'll see what else happens. Uh, Amigos is progressing more and more and, and doing different things. And um, we just keep growing. Yeah. That's cool. What about, so you still have those, um, I know you've invited me a couple times and I haven't been able to make it yet like open mic spoken word down in barrio uh, that's happened a few times too and that's all come out of um all this everything okay. that i do everything i work on i end up meeting new friends and and a lot of times people come in we're like well you know i've never been in front of people before or i've never done this but i always kind of wanted to and i'm like okay that's all you need to say because uh, okay. now we're on it <laughs> and and that event at the iron fist is something that came from uh, Melody de los Cobos. I'm sorry if I'm not saying your name right. Mm -hmm. um, but um, she is an artist and she likes to curate shows. And she said, yeah, I, I have this inn at this place down in, in Barrio. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we, I, can sh I can do showings there, but I want to add something to it. I don't know what to add. I'm like, well, we can just, we can do readings there. We can do poetry. You can do whatever you want. All right. And so we started doing um, some spoken word on the sidewalk there. Once a month or once every couple months, whenever they come up with something, we'll, we'll just throw something together. And uh, we're starting to do that a little bit more down at uh, Border X and some of the other uh, uh, places down there in Barrio. That's cool. And uh, that's, that's really cool. I want to make that like our Chicano Broadway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Avenue of the Stars and, uh, yeah. and Barrio Logan. It's so important to, mm -hmm. to have a space where people can go and create and be, like you said, I've always wanted to, but why? What's held you back? The yeah. other people's to-do list, so now you can come and do what you've yeah. always wanted to do. And, and, and I get that fun. a lot. I get that a lot. Yeah. And, and you as a musician or whatever work you do, I know that you've, you've come into a new project and somebody puts down the work in front of you. Mm -hmm. You take a look at it and you go, okay, yeah, this is nice. <laughs> kind of. Um, this is nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, being an actor, you get a lot of scripts and you, and you read this stuff and you go like, wow, how did you, that's really brave that you actually wrote this mm -hmm. down and you're asking someone to perform it for you. Mm -hmm. And then you do, and then it's like, mm, but then you work on it. And then it gets better, and then it gets better, and then next thing you do, you're performing it, and it's like, wow, that was actually pretty good. So that's what's inspired me, yeah. that uh, people have come up with some really, uh, you know, desperate or out there crazy ideas, but all you got to do is just have that idea, and then you, you, can, you can work on it yeah. and develop it. And, and so trying to get people or to work with in, in these events that, that I, I'm a part of, um, people will say like, you know, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I kind of had some, an, an idea of this character that, but I, I don't know. I'm not really that good. I wrote something down, but I just, I don't want to let anybody see it. And I said, well, let's see it. And then, and then, then we're on our way. 
And then I just, I, so I encourage people, all you need to do is have that idea. And if you're willing to share it with somebody, now it's in development. Right. And, and you give them a voice. And you give them a voice. And next thing you know, I can't get a hold of them because now they're too busy because they're, you know, <laughs> writing all these things or working on all these projects. And, That's awesome. and uh, it, just, it just happens over and over and over and over again. And, uh, and when they doubt themselves the most, I, you know, I just say, just remember that somebody had to pitch the idea for Sharknado. Yeah. That movie, you know, yeah. and look at it now. You yeah. Know? <laughs> not that I'm saying, and I'm not, I'm not endorsing Sharknado as good uh, artistic work, but I mean. But creating something and mm-hmm. then speaking it and giving it life, that's what, and yeah. I think that's what theater does. Mm-hmm. And also brings people together, mm-hmm. the performance. Um, they're, they, you're inspiring. You're inspiring people. Right? Yeah. And that's, that's what I hope to do. And because, you know, I, I came from. Uh, I, I come from recovery and this is all thanks to recovery and it's all a process of recovery of my recovery and uh, for others maybe not recovery but development right. and um, or outs or you know or, or a place to uh, have balance or whatever but uh, no I've, I've been uh, a recovering alcoholic for 13 years now wow. and nice. um, but for most of my life when I was in it, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I always knew that I was a good guy. I just, I just didn't know what I was doing. Uh, but I knew that the reason why I was doing what I was doing is because I was always upset that people didn't understand me mm. or I, I was upset that I didn't have, have what they had. Right. right. And how many times have you heard that story? Right. I didn't get them and they didn't get me. Yep. And so I kept, I was stuck in that circle and I would drink over it and I would drink over it and just get, I just got lost into that, that world for like 25 years. And it mm. was just, it, it was just devastating. And, and, and that's what comes first eventually, you know, at first it's a party and then it becomes a treatment. And, yeah. and then, um, and that's just the way it works. It just sucks you up and, and it doesn't care who you are or where you come from or how smart you are, or, uh, but it takes you and, and it is a demon and it is a disease and, and, uh, serious. it's very serious. And, and I, and I, and, and I just tried to, you know, I, I heard one of your guests recently say like, I, I, I wanted to be really good at drinking, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or I've heard, I heard somebody say at a meeting once, yeah. if I, if I could drink like a gentleman, I'd drink all the time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I couldn't, uh, but you always, you're always trying to angle it and try and, you know, have your cake and eat it too. You know, it's like, I want to, I want to not be sick or not be in trouble, but I also want to get stinking drunk yeah. just cause, but then I found out that, um, through the course of, um, rehab that, you know, that was my way of dealing with reality. Mm-hmm. Um, I was checking out. Um, when I got frustrated, when I when I got mad, when I got sad, um, I drank to get rid of that pain or to feel different. Yeah. I wanted to check my feelings and go on to this artificial feeling. Uh, but then once you're in it, you keep going to make it more, but all you do is end up passing out and wet in the bed and whatever you do. Mm-hmm. But... Um, it stops working. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't work, and it becomes a treatment because when you stop doing it, then you get sick, and um, and then all this other all these other problems come from that. Well, eventually, you know, I just I really did get sick and tired of being sick and tired, and I really did feel death coming. I remember just laying there, 
uh, on the floor of my little apartment and just the, the door was cracked open one night and I lived off an alley and I, it was just cold and dark outside and I just literally felt like death is right outside and mm -hmm. it wants to come in. And, um, and I'm like, I gotta do something about this. And then I, I went and I got help and I checked into a place and, um, and I, and I, the miracles started. I mean, just getting there was a miracle. You checked yourself in I checked by myself. Yourself. Yeah. I went in by myself and just said, Hey man, this is, this is ridiculous. And, um, and what I found out that That's is, cool. is a, a good process, at least for me is just, you know, telling on yourself. Yeah. Um, Accountability. It's like, yeah, it's like, hey man, I I got a problem. <laughs> you know, I do this and I do that, and and I don't like it. And um, it's kind of like handing someone the keys to the car. It's like I can't drive here. You take it. Mm -hmm. And that's what I really had to learn how to do. And um, it was tough figuring out how to do that. And I compared a lot to like, say, if somebody told you to, um, your life will be a lot better, but you got to take off your shoes starting right now, and you can't wear shoes anymore. Well, when I go walking around every day, it's going to feel really funny and I'm going to want to put my shoes back on right. because that's how I'm used to doing it. And it just feels that way. You know, it's just things feel different. But after a while, you get kind of used to it and, and you know, things are normal again um, and and better, I guess, that's if we don't if we don't if we don't wear shoes. Who, no, who knows? Yeah. I, I might be onto something. But um, <laughs> actually, they say, you know, you're grounding yeah. you're a little bit more. You feel it. And, you know, you're one with the earth. <laughs> Um, but anyway, I had to do that. And once I learned up that, you know, stop trying to fight it, stop trying to win. I mean, this thing's bigger than you. It's, it, it, it doesn't care about you. It and once I just you. go, you know what? You win. I want my life back. And if you're bigger than me, if you're stronger than me, uh, yes, you are. Yeah. Okay. I give up. Swallow my pride, swallow my ego. I want my life. And so once I did that, oh my gosh. Mm. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Just, um, the just, miracles. just let it go. Just yeah. let it go. And, and the great thing about that is, is the miracles. I thought I, you know, the miracles started happening. The miracles have always been happening. Yeah. The miracles have always, the fact that I'm here right now right. I'm, is a miracle. The fact that, that uh, I didn't die or kill someone in my disease is a miracle. And what that tells me is that I've been protected the entire time, yep. whether it's God or higher power or, or the universe. I've been yeah. protected. I've mission. been walking in the miracles. Um, I just couldn't see them. But once I let all that stuff go... And, and released all that angst and energy I was spending on trying to be right and trying to fight and trying to be mad and sad and not understanding and blaming people. Once I let all that go, I could see. I could see I was open and receptive to the miracles and, and just saw that they're happening all the time. Yeah. And I just found that living an honest, simple, just a real simple life yeah. is, is the key. Yeah. And... Um, and so then I just got better basically at everything. <laughs> basically everything in my life got better. What do you know? Who would have known? You stop drinking and your whole life turns around. Uh, what a concept. And you do the work because you were doing the work, right? I, was I mean, doing I know work. some oh, yeah. dry drunks out there. Yeah. No, 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 no. do the work. Yeah. You got to go to meetings deep. and you got to, yep. you got to, you got to live it and you got to keep coming back. And, 
And for me, my my regiment was um, in the beginning was, you know, I wanted a little bit of this and that. I wanted to go to a speaker meeting. I wanted to go to a step meeting. I wanted to go to this meeting, that meeting, something that had a little bit of everything yeah. so I could hear things from different perspectives. Right. And um, and I just I, I it just all worked. It, it worked for me. And I keep saying that I was really fortunate in my recovery and a real lucky guy because I didn't have those cravings like, oh my God, oh my God, how am I going to get through this meeting? How am I going to get to the day? I did a little bit, but I mean, you see that so much in recovery. People just like, I want to go back to what I knew, what I know, where I feel comfortable. You know, as much as they don't feel comfortable, they want to go back to that addiction because that's what they know. Yeah. And uh, trauma is heavy duty. Yeah, it's it's, it's a huge process. Going through um, recovery and rehabilitation has been the absolute scariest and most joyous and fulfilling thing I've ever done in my life. And and I it's so weird to say, but I kind of wish that everybody could go through that. I know. That's I mean, you know, Thomas Keaton, who just passed away, Uh uh, he says, like, the 12 step meetings are gods or the universal whatever you want to call it the gift to this century because what happens in those meetings and the healing and the process and sharing and it's yeah. just magical oh my yeah gosh. you always like everybody needs 12 step, healthy 12 step meetings yeah yeah but yeah it's, it's so good to 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 share you know when you when you're able to share but you go and you hear what other people have to say right. and what sucks is when you're in it you think you're alone you think you're the only person that's going to this liquor store this day and then going to another liquor store the other day so they don't know you're going every day <laughs> but you know you go into these rooms and they're going like oh yes yeah, that's, that's the way we do it you know yeah. and they're like wow i thought i was the only guy and then they give I'm you this not alone yeah they give you this big book that was written in 1950s, this big blue book. And, uh, or gosh, I think it was even before that, like in the 40s, the first draft or something like that. I'm not sure. And, um, and, and then I'm reading this book and I'm like, wow, this guy had me all figured out 30 years before I was even born. <laughs> the human condition. It's, it's, what? what? Yeah. And, and then you go in these rooms and you find these people that have, have, have really walked in your shoes. And and they and they knew how, they found out how to get out of it with the help of others, yeah. and and that help of others is what is the, the key to life. And yeah. I just thought, you know, that 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 works for me. Um, I want to live a good life, and so I figured out that if I don't lie, uh, <laughs> and if I don't to myself, yeah, and others. yeah, and to myself and others, <laughs> and and to God and the yeah. universe, and. Uh, that's the way to keep it simple and it's way to keep on track and you just get things done and and it's uncomfortable but you kind of push through the discomfort until you're on the other side realizing this is actually better yeah than living in the bullshit yeah i remember in early recovery a lot of people would just say you know we'd have to check in and say well what'd you do it was the weekend Mm-hmm. And like, wow, I just stayed home and I just, you know, I bit my nails all night because it was a Friday night and all my friends are at the bar and <laughs> I was just bored. I was just bored. Recovery is boring. Yeah. And then I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm getting drunk and then passing out and not remembering what you did anyway. Okay. Um, and then waking up in jail or the hospital. Okay. But then once, you know, I, I got the hang of getting over that not drinking again, like not wearing your shoes, that, yeah. that, that, uh, ritual, you're used to that ritual. Right. Um, once I broke that ritual, I'm like, wow, 
uh, it's not boredom. It's just I just didn't know what I was how to do things sober yet. And so when you when you go in through uh, recovery, you really have to relearn how to do everything because you've been living your life through a drunken, clouded state of mind, mm-hmm. and now you're doing it in in a clear, uh, receptive state of mind. Feeling and and that's different. And so you really do have to learn how to redo everything, and it takes a little getting used to. And once you start getting the hang of it and you start seeing that everything is getting better and better and better and better, you're, you just start going, wow, man, why did I wait so long? What was I doing? What? Yeah. And, and with me, um, you know, the, the, there was a lot of guilt and, and guilt, obviously, over the things I've done and the bad things. And, but uh, the, the, the time, the time that I, I wasted and the, and the relationships and the time in relationships, you know, I would get to the house I would get to my family's house late for holidays mm. because I was doing what I was doing and then I'd stay for as the shortest amount of time as possible and then leave first so I could get back to what I was doing mm. same thing with uh, work and anything else I was doing you know I was just there temporarily so I you know before so I could go, go back in. to my own thing and you know once I dropped all that I found out like wow there's just all kinds of beautiful life going on out here and I'm actually a participant and it's just such a wonderful thing and I I was already involved in theater and I was actually doing pretty well but once I got out and I got the hang of things and I had some time I thought you know what everything's going so well I'm gonna I'm gonna try and revitalize some things and and today I'm gonna set out and I'm gonna go meet some new people and work with some new people that I've never worked with before and try something different I'm gonna get out of my comfort zone of this group of people or these types of things that I'm doing. And I did that and and um, that's when I met Reese Green. I'm, I, got a, I got a part in a play about Mozart and Amadeus and I played <laughs> Beethoven. And uh, uh, I met this guy. Chicano Beethoven? Uh, yeah, yeah, Chicano <laughs> Beethoven. Uh, I think my hair was bigger then. And... Um, Reese Green was the guy that plays Moloch, the the little tonto devil in La Pastorella. Okay. And and I had seen him in that show earlier that year, and I met him. I'm like, dude, you got to get me in that play. That's okay. amazing. I mean, it's got everything. And he said, Yeah, come on, I'll introduce you to the guy. And I got in, and then I started working with them, and it was like family. I'd never belonged to any Latino, Chicano, Hispanic, mm. Mexican, anything before. I was born and raised in East County, uh, but I never really belonged to any Mexican or Latino groups ever. Right. And this was the first one. And so I, I felt great to finally be a part of something, but I kind of still felt like, well, but I still, I'm not really, I don't speak Spanish that well. But we started doing plays where I got to speak Spanish and I had to learn, you know, just for that part or sing in Spanish. And that was, yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah. And uh, then we started, we did, a, we did a musical about Cesar Chavez called Let the Eagle Fly. And that's when things really started changing for me because I found that I got to learn something from a person I never really knew anything about. I heard I knew about the parks and the streets and the schools named Cesar Chavez, but I didn't know anything about the man. Right. So not only did I get to research the man, but I got to meet members of the family and talk to them and and really uh, get to know the reasons behind La Causa and and mm-hmm. 
all the things he did for us and the way we live today still because of the things he changed. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, afterwards, the audience would come up and say, like, I didn't know that. I'm going to go look this up. That added another element on top of my entertainment career because now people are saying, that was really entertaining. You were funny. You were talented. You were a great actor. But now people are coming up and saying, you taught me something. Yeah. And that was like, wow, whoa, what? this is different. And then with um, uh, starting to work at San Diego Rep and Herbert Sequenza and uh, Amigos, that's what it was all about. Everything we, we do has a message in it, has a cause in it, uh, has, has something for, to, to educate people. Yeah, yeah. And so for the last 10, 12 years or so, that's pretty much been my way. Uh, I, I, I love doing theater or everything I do has to have a message. I, I like to say that I... I entertain, educate, and enlighten uh, yeah. with the work I do, and like uh, Historias Tenebrosas. Yeah. Um, the, uh, through these this series of events, I I was working with the group that did La Pastorela Teatro Mascara Magica, and they were going to do a play about um, written by Josefina Lopez, based on the work of Border Angels. And a, and a Arizona SB 1070 law, which gives law enforcement the right to ask people for their documentation. Yeah. So she wrote a play called Detained in the Desert based on this work. And it was um, based on Enrique Morones, who's the founder of Border Angels. Well, I was going to play his role. And um, in researching that, I started hanging out with Border Angels, and, and that changed my life too. Right. Uh, learning more about how we're all human beings you know no matter where you come from and the borders and all that stuff is just a line in the created by man and uh people just are trying to come here for a better life or to escape uh, tragedy or or danger and every human being deserves uh a chance yeah you know it doesn't it doesn't it, it shouldn't matter how much money you're born with or what side of a line you're born on Everybody deserves uh, a chance at a good, honest, healthy, successful uh, life with dignity. Right. And 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 for some reason, people just aren't treated that way. And I, you know, I'm not a politician. I'm I'm not a political scientist or anything like that. And I don't have the answers. But I I am fortunate enough to have the basic uh, idea of what's right and what's wrong yeah. in my heart. And so I pursued uh, that. I kept going back to Border Angels and uh, and became a, a board member with them and uh, ended up writing a play called Letters from the Wall based on our work. And and then I started performing that play uh, because I found that was my way to share. And you uh, performed that play at the border? Was it was originally one? written to be performed at the border wall okay. uh, with actors on the Mexico side and actors on this side. Nice. And there just happened to be a 20-foot steel wall and the between us yeah. and uh, a man-made wall a man-made wall and and you know when Enrique asked me to um, do a play there you know I tried to figure out what would be the best play to do you know let, Hamilton no we can't do that there you know <laughs> why you know why would you do that and it just nothing made sense so I thought well it's got to be something original I got to do something about that addresses why we're doing a play right. there and why there's a wall there so I wrote it about the work we do at Border Angels. And mm-hmm. so every everything in the play is real, and it's a series of short stories 
uh, that represents this group. Say, you know, there's deported veterans. And then there's a 10-minute story about a group uh, that got separated and half the family's in Mexico and half the family's here and they reunite 30 years later at the border, at the wall border. opening. And uh, then there's, uh, there's just, there's, I found so once I started terrible. doing this, this play, there's all these things that kept happening with the play and it would be people would cry and then people would ask questions afterwards and then I would explain how the stories got written or where they came from and then people would say well I like I really identify with that because that's what happened to my parents or that's what happened to this guy I work with or that's that reminds me of this well I came from Ireland and we went through this which is just like what you said in the yeah. play and so people were really really identifying with it yeah. then another thing that happens every time the play is performed is somebody else comes forward and says um I'm gay and my family doesn't want me mm. in, in Mexico. Can you tell my story? Or I'm from Honduras and I lost my arms and legs falling off La Bestia, which is the train. Yeah. Can you tell our story? And so people started coming forward saying, can you tell my story? Can you tell my story? Can wow. you tell my story? And so I realized that I will be telling these stories until there's no more problem. Yeah. And it doesn't seem like those problems are going to be going away anytime soon. Yeah. But um, but, but you're it, speaking people's pain and their experience, yeah. and you're creating proximity. Right. Uh, and, and what happens is that I found in my own course of recovery is that when we keep it to ourselves, like I mentioned, telling on ourselves, when we keep it to ourselves, nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to change. And those people that... Um, Say, well, I'm a writer, but I don't, you know, I don't want to show anybody. Well, let me see it. <laughs> Once you let me see it, now we can do something about it. Yeah. So these people that have lived these tragedies, um, a lot of times people that are in a tragic situation are unable to tell their own story. Mm. And once their story's told, one, you're educating somebody else, two, that creates conversation and those people start talking about it whether it's good whether it's bad they're having a conversation yeah. and that's good somewhere in there sometimes some people says say um we got to do something about this okay and so this person over here that's living in the tragedy that was unable of telling their story now their story's out there and there's actually people actually working on it or possibly trying to help yeah and and so that's been my goal um, in that and many other things that I do, but that's kind of been the basic formula yes. and, and whether it's in a play or whether it's, um, helping people from across the border or people that are here that are trying to, to get by every day. Um, I just found that that basic formula of just, you know, just reaching out is what helps. If you need something, ask, ask for, help, for help and you get it. Yeah, and you're not alone. You're not alone, and uh, a big issue that uh, people have is, you know, like, well, I, well, I can't let anybody know that I have an issue. <laughs> well, you know, one chances are they already know. <laughs> <laughs> they usually they already know, know there's something up. Uh, but then, uh, you know, you carry that around that angst. I can't tell anybody this. I can't tell anybody that. I don't want anybody to know my problems. Everybody needs to think I'm perfect. Right. But. Good Say, luck with that. Good luck with that. But by whatever act of miracle that happens, if you're able to finally tell somebody, hey, guess what? You know what? I'm I've been wanting to tell you this for a long time, and it's taken me 25 years to work up this courage. But you know what? I've got a drinking problem. Yeah. 
And then that person usually goes, yeah, that's, that's, that's too bad. What do you want for lunch? And you're like, wow, that's it? That was it? I've spent my whole life penting up all this, this stuff and, and that was all, they didn't even care. Well, they care, but they don't care that much. And that's our ego. Like people thinking that people care so much about us that they're going to judge us based on just a, a character flaw yeah. or something we do. It's like watching the news, you know, when they say today, this guy did this, he ran a red light and crashed into the wall. You know, you might say like, oh my gosh, who would do that? But then you change the channel right? or you move on to the next story. Yeah. You don't, people don't dwell on it. They don't care that much to judge you or condemn you basically yeah. is what it is. And, um, and if people just drop that ego, we could all just, just be, say, we would be freer, be free, right? Yeah. And more, um, I think more at ease. I think the main thing is when you realize you're not the only one yeah. going through this pain, mm-hmm. the human, the human experience is painful, whether you're an alcoholic yeah. or not, or you know, unaccepted or not accepted, everything is a process. So, yeah, the more you hear somebody else's story up on stage, wherever you're mm-hmm. creating it, mm-hmm. you can relate. You're like, boom, yeah. right there. Oh, I'm not the only one. Yeah. And and that's why even you need to go and, and get your help. Because yeah. especially when you don't want it. When you don't want it, that's when you need to go the most. When yeah. you're When you're the most down... And you just want to be away from anybody. You're like, leave me alone. I'll figure it out on my own. That's when, that's that's the critical time when you really need to seek help. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just having this conversation the other day. You know, um, somebody close to me was saying, you know, this person, this happened to this person, and all this stuff is happening, and I just, I feel this way. And I'm like, yeah, I know, I know, it hurts. It, it's tough. Well, the, you know, unfortunately, that that's that's life. Yeah. You know, the world is going to continue revolving with or without us. And it's much more fun and beneficial to you and others if you participate and revolve with it. Um, Boom. You can't check yeah. out, you know. Yeah. Uh, if, if you're active, you can get a lot done for yourself and others. Yeah. And and life is going to keep happening. Yeah. You know, it's not going to stop and wait for us or it's not going to... It's not going to uh, do things according to how we want. Uh, we got to live life on life's terms, right? And, and step in it. Yeah. Step into life. Yeah, you step in it and be active. Yeah. And, and so, and that's it. You know, that's cool. been my basic formula. I, whenever I share my story, I, I don't, I don't really do a whole lot of studying up on, you know, I got to cover this step and this step and I got to prepare this and use this term and all that stuff. Because someone once told me, actually it was my first sponsor said, you know, so you didn't fly a plane upside down and <laughs> and spend a year in in uh, the MICU. Uh, just your story is your story. Yeah. And that has crossed over into my theater world, too. Every single one of us has a story. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be impressive. That's yeah. the ego thing again. Just tell your story. Just tell it like it is. Just yeah. tell the truth. And and that's what I try to do. And uh, And... And and that's how I ended up here. I, I, I've gosh, I've I've just just living that formula. I've I've become more successful at everything at life, in relationships, in my job, uh, and in, creating in, an impact to and, others, and, which and, is really cool. And that's been a, actually a surprise. Uh, <laughs> that kind of just crept in there. I just kept going along, minding my own business, taking care of all what's here in my personal space, and. And the things I did 
for myself to take care of myself, which is a full-time job. I have no time or any business taking care of anybody else's business. Mm -hmm. So just working on this, um, that kind of rippled outwards. And people would come up to me and say like, hey, I really like what you said or I like what you did or I like that work. Could you show me how to do that? Or could you come to our school and talk about this project you did? Or could you come to our theater? Could you do this? Could you do that? And uh, sure. And it just kind of just kind of uh, crept in there. And, you know, just people started telling me, you know, you're you're pretty well known for this or you're respected for this. And I'm like, really? <laughs> I'm just Dave. I didn't mean to. Well, I didn't, yeah, I didn't mean for that to happen. Are you Are you sure you got the right guy? Well, that's what happens when you let the ego at the door and just work on yourself and take life on like storms, like you said. You mm-hmm. know, Where can we find you next? What are you up to now? Well, next, I've actually, this is kind of, I'm trying to do like a, like a palate cleansing thing because uh, it's all been all humanitarian and uh, social justice and serious topics for for such a long time and for a while now you know I've been producing events and shows and helping people with their voiceover career or or podcasts or or acting and and people people are always like yeah when when you're an actor I don't know if you're a musician when you run into another one's like so what are you working on now you know and you always kind of tell hey well I'm going to be doing this well, I've been doing that for a couple of years now. I'm like, wait a minute. Well, I'm not really, I'm not doing anything. <laughs> I'm just, I'm kind of helping people with their stuff. Yeah. Uh, You're a mentor now. So then I, 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 I decided, you know what? I'm going to, I want to do something for fun. And right around a month ago when I was, this was kind of going through my mind. I'm like, I got to get out there. I got to, I got to get in a show. I got to do something. I was flipping through Facebook and then I saw an audition for um, Guys and Dolls at the uh, um, Coronado Playhouse which is one of the first theaters that I, I did a community theater show about 20-some years ago. Guys and Dolls was the show that um, decided that, that made me decide I wanted to be an actor when I first mm-hmm. saw the movie when I was eight years old. Just I was hooked. And, um, and I go, you know what? I got I to gotta go audition for that. I haven't done a singing audition in a while. I haven't auditioned in a while. I think I'll just go check it out. And um, I did, and it all went well, and I'll be playing Nathan Detroit, which is one of the lead characters in nice. uh, Guys and Dolls. In, uh, it goes up in January 18th and runs through February 24th at the Coronado Playhouse. Fun, and, fun. And it's going to be, and it's just pure, simple, fun musical uh, theater, fun, great show. And, and I got to sing and dance. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm now, look, take a good look now. <laughs> Because hopefully in a couple months from now there'll be like you'll only see about this much of me like a couple. Be uh, size. I'll yeah. be coaching you. Yeah, uh. yeah. I'm super sized right now. I'm gonna get down to like you know a, a vente or a grande, I guess. Grande, grande oh, size. That's gonna be fun. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to seeing that. Thank you, and uh, and I look forward to doing whatever you and I can do again. We met that one time, and we worked that one time, and I think I was running around trying to. Yeah, do everything. It was a lot. A lot of people coming through. And, yeah, yeah. But um, I, 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 I couldn't I, even get your autograph, Dave. <laughs> well, there's <laughs> one. I, I was saying this because there's, there's, there's things that you can feel sometimes. Yeah. And and work. and even from um, when Sylvia first mentioned, because I know this girl, she's cool. You really, you really like her. That's how Sylvia she, talks. She, oh, I love get, you, Sylvia. I get grease. 
And uh, uh, yeah, that's she keeps silly. telling me like, you need to sing. What are we gonna sing? I'm like, okay, it's coming, it's coming. We're starting. I was like, bring her, bring her, bring her. Yeah, bring her in, bring her in, and um, and and then whenever your name comes up, yes, I like you. I knew you'd like her. Yeah. I love Sylvia. Yeah. So yeah, that's we cool. need to we need to do something. And and so I keep tell, an eye out. Keep and an I, eye and out. I do tell this to people. It's like if you ever want to get together and just like you know shoot ideas around or just do anything. Yeah. You just get, again, you just get together in a room and you engage each other. And then what comes out of that is a creation. Who knows? Something who cool. knows what can happen. Yeah. 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 So yeah. find Dave Rivas on Facebook. You can Dave find Rivas. me on uh, Facebook. You can go to my website at uh, com, and you'll see a lot of uh, about my voice work and my, all the, the, I do a lot of voiceover uh, voices for video games and cool. commercials and things like that. And, um, How fun. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. fun. And I do, I design sound and um, uh, uh, produce podcasting and stuff like that. And yeah. I, I helped you out a little bit You're with today's setup. <laughs> the podcast is now going to be even better technologically. Yeah, we'll just do some like sound treatment and stuff. And, you know, we'll get, yeah. you, we'll get you locked in. And um, and cool. hopefully you can bring tequila. Yes, tequila not not tequila dogs. to drink. Your tequila, your tequila little dog. The minpin. Your tequila little, the minpin. Your minpin dog. Everyone knows her because she's always shouting out she's here. She's in every at the show. Podcast. Okay, so before we go, yeah, I want you to tell the world. I don't know if you could say one message to whoever is listening. Mm-hmm. What would it be? Um, hire me. No. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> there you I, go. I, I do birthday parties for joining. Tell and uh, anniversaries and uh, quinceañeras. <laughs> uh, no, seriously, I, and I, I already did touch on it. And yeah. for me, the biggest thing is um, it seems like, especially uh, today in um, you know political headlines and stuff like that, your average person seems to be concerned about themselves so much uh but not too many people are in their own space as far as um, taking responsibility of their own actions or being their own person right. um, a lot of people are concerned about what the other person is doing uh or judging or pointing mm. fingers or looking at the tv and pointing and making comments or uh, but not doing anything about it mm. if you have a if you have an opinion on something if you don't like a story on the news or if you don't like something that some some group is about or something like that, I think that's fine. You know, you're obviously entitled to your opinion, but get up off the off your chair and 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 move towards that group and and find out more. Yeah. Find out for yourself with your own eyes, with your own experience what the real story is before you pass judgment. Uh so basically, um, take care of yourself first, because like I said, for me, uh, taking care of myself is a full-time job and all my issues and all the things I've got to take care of, that's a lot. Yeah. And if I do that successfully, and if I do those things that are, that are good for me and right for me and, and help me progress in life and a happy, healthy life, that tends to ripple outwards. Yep. And people kind of gravitate towards that. And, and, and that's what works for me. I kind of wish that everybody could go through some struggling and have to learn how to redo yeah. some things and rethink and refeel. Yeah. Uh, I think most everybody does. I mean, maybe not to a certain to degree, an extreme where you've you've lived a before and after. Yeah. Um, 
but I, I think if people would really just, you know, put yourself in other people's shoes sometimes yeah. and be considerate and just, if you're just honest, you know, stop trying to impress people. Stop <laughs> nobody trying cares. To, nobody really cares that much, you know, yeah. and you're, you're going to get a lot farther just by telling the truth and living an honest, simple life. Yeah. Uh, not trying to take, but trying to give actually. Yeah. Um, who is it? Here we go. It's the well, they're already, they're trying to. Come in for, for all my advice. <laughs> We're going to wrap it up so that we don't get disturbed. So. But, that, but that's it. Just just uh, uh, take care of yourselves um, first and, and, and do that right. And then and don't, and, and, and don't worry about what the other person is doing. You know, if they want your help, they'll ask for it. Right. Um, or they'll, they'll get it somehow. But um, just be honest and, and work with others, you know, and have, a, have an open mind and an open heart. And... Um, that's it. Yeah, and live it up. Yeah, and yeah, enjoy it yeah. and participate. Well, thanks, Dave. Thanks so much for hopping on here and sharing some of your story with us. You'll have to come back because I think there's going to be more to this for part two. Yeah, part two of Dave Rivas and Tales of Recovery: Stories of Resilience and Going Through Struggle and Suffering, Coming Out on the Other End, and then Recovering um, a New Life and Your Soul Purpose. Mm-hmm. And making you know yourself a beneficial presence to the world, mm-hmm. which clearly you are. Thank, Thank you. you so much. And you are. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, all right. See you next time, guys.